This is Paul Nobles from Eat to Perform, and I am here with Coach Catherine Adams. She's ootin' a boot. <laughs> <laughs> Paul, <laughs> I, I I just can't not do it. You know, it's it's. You know. I say about. I'm 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 a Western Canadian. <laughs> so when um, when they have those circles, you know that cars go through. What do they call those? You know what I'm talking about? No, like a roundaboots. Are they roundaboots? Yeah. Oh, oh, roundabout. <laughs> it's a roundabout. <laughs> oh, see, so you do say it right. Yeah, that's funny. I do. I always I wondered if Canadians called them roundaboots. That's I. From what I've told, that's Eastern Canada. So Western, we're I don't know. We say things. I still say you betcha, as you know. Yeah. Well. That's that's almost as much Minnesotan. Minnesota is very okay. you betcha. So uh, this is our fat loss chat, you know, that we talk about. So we kind of make that a priority. And you know, it's kind of interesting. Um, just I always try to tell like a little bit of a kind of funny story. So we were talking to a client who was eating fairly low fat for a long time, and she was struggling with her eyebrows and once she started to eat, you know, eat to perform, you know, her eyebrows and hair and stuff started to come back. Um, but it reminded me of a story I had with my daughter who, when she was seven, she had to take her school pictures with no eyelashes um, or, or eyebrows or eyelashes. Um, yeah. And she just recently told us why. Um, and the reason why is because she used them all for wishes. <laughs> do you know, do, is that a Canadian thing too? Where we're like, yeah, if like you use a eyebrow, a eyebrow, you, you get a wish. So she used them all for wishes. Yeah, she got a lot of wishes. I mean, yeah. you would think you would think we would be living in the lap of glory with all those wishes, but she wasted her damn wishes, Catherine. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Yeah. So, I wanted to talk a little bit about um, if if you're in the Lifetime Forum, if you're uh, in Meal Planning Group, I cross posted there. If I, I may actually do this as a podcast page. Problem with the podcast page, you know, we, I will literally put up a podcast and 5,000 people will listen to it. The minute I post it to Facebook, everybody's like, why don't you have transcripts? And it's like, ah, uh, you know, we post articles all day long, every single day. Why does this one have to be transcripted? You know, but, but people do like the, the podcast. I appreciate that. Make sure subscribe and stuff like that. That always is, it's kind of helpful. It makes makes you get like the most recent stuff. But what I posted, because I've been doing what we here at Eat Perform call performance focused fat loss, which is kind of our formula for sustainable fat loss, right? And I posted basically the four week period that I've done it. And what I thought was interesting about it, and if if you guys see this. Basically, what it is, is it's a consistent pattern down, but it's four spikes up, right? And what's probably most interesting about it, 
you know, I've kind of talked a, a little bit about, you know, eating mostly the same thing, you know, which I did end up counting and roughly ends up about 2,200 calories. Normally, you know, I'll eat around 3,000. I have been trying to keep my burns up to about 3,000. So, you know, the, the trend trending down sort of makes sense. Um, the other thing that I think is, is sort of interesting is the spike up because the good majority of people don't do that or when they do it, they basically land in roughly the same spot. And so let me talk a little bit about that, right? So if you look at the way that the, the graph goes, you know, I actually got my Withing Scale a week after starting PFFL. So, you know, the, the highest numbers aren't there. But basically, I started at 187.2. The, the scale that I had before this is actually, you know, um, of course, the, the Withing Scale is a little higher than the scale that I've been using because that's the way scales go. That's the way scales roll. Um, but it's still showing like the consistent trend. And what is interesting about that is when you get to that point where you were at 183 last week or, you know, like every week the numbers have been 184.2, 182 .2, 182.2, you know, that's how it goes, right? And sometimes I'm more than 0.2 down, you know, or more than, more than the, you know, I'll be at one, you know, right now, um, you know, I'm in the 180s, you know, I might end up being 179.8 tomorrow morning, right? But really, what I'm really focused on is, kind of that, kind of aiming for the target. If I landed at 180.4, it's not like I just go starve myself for the rest of the day to get there, right? Close enough, right? It's really more um, hand grenades, not horseshoes, or do I have that opposite? Well, either way, the, the point being is that you don't have to nail it because you might be able to nail it later on. Like as an example, last week, you know, I ended up the Thursday before I ended up having lobster, which was pretty high in sodium. Um, next night was date night. Even though the, the, the lobster, even though it was kind of low carb, kind of fit my, you know, macros and stuff like that, you know, there was still kind of a variety piece that messed things up a little bit. But I was able to kind of get things kind of situated relatively quickly because, you know, the scale was a little up from the sodium from the lobster. Um, and, you know, date night, instead of, you know, the, the blow it out, you know, kind of thing, it's really more reasonable than that. It's a salad. It's, you know, half of a 12-inch pizza, which is probably a small most places. So it's not like this big, huge blowout affair. When you first start off, though, 
you want to see what you can get away with, right? You know, if you normally have a Coke with your pizza, I certainly did, you know, had that in. What you want to do is you want to have as much food in early on and as much work as you can get away with while still seeing a result, right? That's the whole idea. But at some point, you're going to have to kind of focus on the down part. So then if you look at Saturday, Sunday, early on Saturdays and Sundays, I wasn't as strict as I've become because I don't want this to go much longer. I'm only three pounds away from kind of where I will land and then ultimately be done. So now let's talk a little bit about Monday. So Monday, you're basically back to the weight that roughly you were at at the previous week. And you've landed at roughly the same spot. But you have four days until Friday. You got to get that one pound. You know, one thing that I will say right now that has been happening kind of consistently. Wednesday's sort of a weird day around Eat to Perform because there's a lot of stuff that happening that needs to happen from a marketing side of stuff for me for Thursdays. So what happens is I end up in my head a little bit. So if I wake up in the middle of the night, sometimes it's tough to get back to sleep. That was certainly the case last week. Well, last week I was a little bit more aggressive. I think that was probably the biggest culprit there because I was 100%. I mean, I woke up at like 1.30 in the morning and just, you know, it was like I slept for 20 hours. And then, of course, as the day drug on, you know, it was obvious that I didn't. But last night, as an example, I ended up getting five and a half hours sleep, did end up taking a nap earlier today. So I've been fine. But it was really more of, you know, my mind kind of racing. So I'll I'll sort of work around that kind of stuff. But there is also the piece of, you know, Wednesday I'm getting a little aggressive, right? That's the, you know, I want to hit my number. Now this week, I, I don't really have an excuse for that because I had actually hit the number on Tuesday. Um, in the past, if I had hit the number on Tuesday, I would kind of normalize and just sort of stay at that number, kind of adding in more work and adding in food just so I didn't have to be super restrictive. This time I'm trying to be a little bit more aggressive, lower with calories or like staying at that lower number, you know, making sure that I'm burning 3,000, eating 2,200. I did mention before the call started I mean, if you, if you can't, if you don't listen to these often, you probably don't know that I've been sick, but you can probably hear a little bit in my voice. It's a little raspy. Um, I did end up getting to do squats a couple days ago. So I was at 2,200 calories, or I would have been at 2,200 calories if I had eaten uh, all my food for that day. I came home. Actually, that was kind of interesting. So I reversed it on what I normally do. So normally I'll have something like yogurt and protein in the morning, maybe like a popcorn and kombucha as a snack, 
and then I'll have kind of a snake uh, or a steak, not a snake. Um, uh, that would really be adding some variety. So I'd have a steak, I'd have a steak, a salad, and some level of dessert. So because I was working out, I did it in reverse. Okay, so I had my steak early, and then I had my yogurt and protein with a little bit of granola right before my workout, like two hours before my workout. I came home and I was starving um, because of the squats and just because of kind of like that added work, you know, I hadn't been able to do very much weightlifting in the last two to three weeks just because of, you know, not feeling 100%. I mean, I'm still sore today, you know, and that was a couple days ago, you know, and normally squats would not make me, you know, that sore. So obviously there's a few things at play here. What's interesting though is my sleep has been phenomenal. You know, um, I've been sleeping eight, eight and a half hours sleep and it's kind of interesting because the you know I've, I've had a few bad Wednesdays but Thursdays have been phenomenal you know for me um, partly because Fridays is a is a day I mean it's technically my day off though there's really technically no day off you know when you kind of run a business like this but we end up doing a lot of stuff on the weekends um, so I like to be free for that um, just because, you know, more eyes are on social media. And so people tend to, you know, kind of, you know, want to join e-perform and stuff. So I like to make myself available. But my sleep on Thursdays have been really, really good. And so usually, you know, my weight, it, it really is amazing how much of a difference sleep makes and I know that I say that in like virtually every podcast but you know if if you're wondering why your fat loss is struggling you know it might be a little bit the macros but it's probably a lot of the sleep you know and I see a lot of people that talk about being so aggressive you know and having all these different things happen because they're so aggressive with calories but what I really wanted to talk about today was the spikes up that people were talking about and people were noticing. And those spikes up are on purpose. I'm doing that intentionally, you know? So obviously every Saturday morning there's a spike up because I go to date night, you know? But there's other nights that spike up, right? And I'll give you an example of what I mean by that. So Monday and Tuesday, fairly strict, try to eat roughly the same amounts of foods. I know what those foods do for my body. And so I'm able to see a result. So now it's Tuesday night and I'm able to get a good night's sleep, but I wake up in the morning and I'm a little more hungry than usual. And if I look at the scale and the scale is down a little bit more than I thought it would be, I add in more food in that scenario. There is a point of diminishing returns with all of this. We all know this. We've all dieted our whole life and we've banged our head 
against that low calorie wall. And we plateaued and we're kind of praying to the scale gods that we can finally get that extra half pound. And you hear things about whooshing and stuff like this. And it feels like there's these magic elements that are going to allow you to get to where you want to go. At some point, if you don't allow those spikes up, if you don't feed yourself, you're really not going to allow yourself to get to that lower point. More importantly, though, it makes adherence very difficult. And I think that's the failure point for a lot of people. Um, any thoughts on that, Catherine, while I take a little squig of water? No, I think I, you know, I find that uh, fascinating as you're, t as you're speaking, I'm, I'm looking at, at your graph, um, that you posted in, uh, ETP for life. And, uh, I think it is because coaching people, um, in group coaching and they're going through PMFL and suddenly their weight goes up and I'm like, it's okay. You know, and they're 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 thinking, no, it's it's got to go down. It's this linear line that always has to go down. But that was an excellent example of yours to see that it's okay for it to go up, and it's a good thing. Yeah, um, and then, so. and what's been interesting about it is because you know it's been a full year before I went through performance focused fat loss cycle, and and if you're not familiar with eat to perform, basically all I'm going to be doing is is it's like a cut for eight weeks. You know, um, but all eight weeks, in theory, I should gain one pound, you know, or I should lose one pound in that week. And that's what ultimately the graph shows, right? Is that the graph shows a consistent downward one pound a week. And the reason why it does that is because of the hard work that I put in for the whole year. The only other time that has been roughly similar to this was a time that I took basically two years off, right? And it it's something that we all sort of know, you know? We all sort of know that the body doesn't want to be starving itself all the time. The body wants to be thriving. The, the body wants to be doing awesome things. I mean, a little bit of the, the sick on top of performance-focused fat loss is probably why I'm sore, you know? I, you know, it usually takes a lot of volume for me to get sore. It was not a lot of volume the other day, you know? Um, that's good and bad. You know, there was something, you know, actually, you know what, I'm going to save that for the training training one, but, um, you know, I'll, 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 I'll tease it so people show up oh, for sure. the side. That's what I was going to say. You're just teasing us. Yeah, but but no, like like one of the things that I think happens when people start using multipliers for Windler or Hatch or Small Off or whatever is they tend to want to go off of their one rep maxes. And your one rep max six months ago might not equate to where you are right now. It might equate to where you are now, but all of these programs typically have kind of that plus mode, right? So right now I'm currently, you know, changing, I guess I'm just going to give it away. Um, but right now I'm currently changing to where I'm resetting my deadlift rather than going to more touch and goes. And so I'm going to come all the way down. My multiplier was 520. 
I actually struggled at 475, so I'm gonna come down to my multiplier actually 100 pounds less than before. And you go, why would you come all the way down to 100 pounds? So now all of a sudden I do my multiplier, I'm doing 853. On the third week, well actually every single week has a plus, right? So I can't remember exactly what it is, but just bear with me podcasting people because I'm pretty sure it's based on the article. I'll, I'll add the article in the show notes to this if we do publish it. But basically, it, I would start at 210 pounds. And I would do 8 reps at 50%, 8 reps at 60%, 8 reps at 70%. But the 70% has a plus. So, let's see, 420. I should be able to do this more in my head, but whatever. I got a calculator right here. So, 294, right, times 8 and then an addition. So, if I do that 24 times, well, there's no reason for me to only go up 10 pounds. I can go up 40 pounds at that point because I know that is not close to what my abilities are. That's where I think people make big mistakes is they always want to really push the top end and they don't allow for the progression that really helped them progress from the beginning, right? If you're changing the way that your training is supposed to work, don't always rely on your previous one rep. You know, small oaf works different than hatch. Hatch works different than windler. Windler works different than what we teach. I mean, you know, all of them are slightly different. But the one thing that's not different is that on that plus cycle, if you do a lot of reps, you don't have to just go up 10 pounds or five pounds or whatever, right? You can go up a lot of pounds. And that's something I use a lot that I don't think a lot of people use. Have you ever done it like that? No, actually. Um, I've, I've followed uh, several different um, programs and I've actually hired a, a powerlifting coach to put together a training program um, uh, cycle for me just because I have the power lifting me in a month. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I think that's that's super interesting. Um, and how how did you feel afterwards? Well, I haven't done what I just said yet. Oh, yeah. when? Um, so I will be doing it probably Friday night. But I've done it. I've done this a million times. You know. Right. Um, and and what you. Like, it because that's date night too right it is date night so i do strategically put it together <laughs> um but what i love about it let, let's think about what we're doing there right in this instance i'm deadlifting and i'm really kind of doing a more of a high volume type of thing which is really more for hypertrophy stuff like that if I end up doing what is roughly 300, it's 294 pounds, so just under 300. If I do that for 20 reps, that's going to be pretty good for muscle building, you know. 
And as I jump up, you know, now if I do it for 20 reps, I know I've got to push it up a little bit higher. But I've done this many times, you know, and I love it every single time because think about where you're at. You do a strength cycle, you're at the top, and then you do your deload, and you know, my next up was 530. I gotta be honest with you, like at 180 pounds, 530 was like kind of daunting. So it was sort of nice mentally, you know, to come back down and go, okay, I can start from a relatively low number and I'll challenge myself with the volume rather than challenging myself with the heavy weight, especially as I'm trying to kind of work on form. When you go from touch and goes to, to resets, right? That's a little bit about form work. So, but this is fat loss. This is fat loss and people want to hear about fat loss, but I do think, I do think that is fair. You know, I think it, it's, it's one thing that we do suggest a lot for people that are looking to lose fat is we'll have them focus on volume. More volume. And one of the things that I often suggest to anybody that does something like CrossFit, um, but obviously I just gave away you know the powerlifting side of things. But if you were doing CrossFit, for guys, you can go down to the women's weight, get a lot more volume in that way. For women, just multiply by 0.66. You know, I'm talking about prescribed weight. You know, if you normally are an RX or, you know, this is a way to kind of adjust things. Um, we don't really have a lot of questions. Any any kind of interesting things coming up that that uh, have been kind of fun for you lately? Interesting things that have come up. Oh, well, I don't know if you saw my post on my on. Uh on slot today no you paul you should you should be following me i was on a group <laughs> coaching call my husband went out and uh he out was in the boat? For a couple days did he go out in the um, boat he went out to the boat he went to the coast and he, to visit some um his family but he came home with a uh well new to us a pulley squat rack so our rack that I've been using for um, squats has been completely kind of, it shifts if I don't put the weight on okay. properly. Yeah, yeah. A whole new system, all new weights with little bumpers. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's awesome. So I'm, I'm stepping up my, my training now. <laughs> yeah, I would say, um, you know, from the you know what i what i was kind of thinking about though was maybe some of the things that that have come up in group coaching i know there's been there's been some really cool stuff that have come up um one as an example um yeah. i'm not a huge lyle mcdonald fan um just because i think he's really abusive on the internet but there's been a video where he did an interview and, and lyle is really smart I've read most of the things that he's put out there. Um, but he brought up a couple things that were really interesting as it related to body fat testing. And uh, one of the things that he talked about was for women, much more than men, you would want to consistently do things 
around your cycles. And so here is what he was kind of saying. So basically, water retention will sometimes show up as fat on a on a fat loss on, on a fat loss test. It, it sometimes shows up as lean mass too, but at the very least, it can be confusing. The way that you would deal with that level of confusion is you would consistently do it, you know, on the 28th day at 7 a.m., right? Now, if you were a male, you basically do it at 7 a.m. and you'd be fine, right? And we kind of do know this from the way that women hold their weight compared to men. But I thought it was kind of an interesting thing, and I think it does account for a lot of people that see some weird results occasionally. And my guess is they aren't really thinking about the fact that, you know, they have to time it around their cycle. They're probably best doing it like a week after, you know. Um, I'm always a big fan of doing it fasted in the morning just because I think you get a more consistent result. Now, I will tell you that, you know, having a body fat machine at my house, you're going to get the best readings when your muscles are full, right? Um, so that's not going to be in the morning typically, but it's going to be the most true, right? So while you might get a lower body fat percentage in the evening because your muscles are full and you have carbohydrates in your muscles and stuff like this, determining the amounts gets to be difficult. Whereas in the morning, it's fairly consistent. But I thought that was interesting, you know, um, and, and, and I have to say, you know, I don't mind recommending Lyle's stuff because it's very good. It's some of the best out there. The one thing I would say, though, is Lyle can be difficult and, you know, not very nice, you know, um, and I know that, you know, Part of what he's doing with these interviews and stuff is to sort of, you know, make all that right. And I applaud him on that effort. But, you know, um, I don't want any personal piece of that. Um, having been on, you know, kind of as I was coming up, I would reach out to all these really smart people. And certainly he would have been one of the people that I reached out to. And he was not a very kind person. Oh. So, Paul, for um, uh, men, does it matter when they test? I don't think women are on the twenty eighth. Do you find? Did you? No, find no. I'm, I'm saying I'm saying that if you're measuring your cycle, right, and you yeah. body fat test on the twenty eighth day, going into your cycle, right, yeah. you should do it on the twenty eighth day. If you're the seventh day, do it on the seventh day. Right. right, it should match. Yeah. Right. In terms of guys, no, we don't have those issues. He did also talk about um, some stuff related to PCOS that was kind of interesting. I think Mike and uh, and Brad are going to come up with some pretty interesting stuff with that as well. Which would be fantastic because there's quite a few um, group coaching clients that uh, have have P P P S. PCOS, PCOS yeah, yeah. and uh, I think that's very helpful because it can be really frustrating for a lot of women. Yeah, I mean, we've put out we put out a fair amount of information 
Um, yes. But but we're definitely going to be bringing more. And that, actually, um, not just that, we have kind of a speaker lined up through the coaches course that's going to be talking about, you know, hormonal, you know, um, uh, menopause, you know, these types of things. So these are, these are yeah. things that, you know, we've sort of had on our radar for a long time. And so whenever we see something in the, you know, ethos, um, we want to kind of bring it to you guys. And so I thought that was kind of an interesting discussion. Well, and, and all the females on your staff, we've all dealt with many of those issues. I've had, uh, I've been perimenopause and menopause since I was 32, 33. So it's definitely something that I've struggled with. Um, yeah. And uh, we've got quite a few people on no questions from them though. Yeah, there's no questions at this point. They're they're they actually most of the people that are here tend to be here fairly often, so they like listening yeah. to it live. But which is great. Which yeah, is fantastic. But I'm just trying to think. Um, so yeah, I mean, I I had a couple of group coaching people that we talked to, and you know, it's sort of interesting. And it's a little bit my experience as well. You know, I think, you know, I talked a little bit about this on Monday, but I can expound upon it right now. You know, when we were talking, you know, both of the people were, you know, 48 and 51 and I'm 47. And I think that for athletes our age, and when I say athletes, I mean human beings. Right. Mm -hmm. Because I think people get confused by that because they're like, oh, gosh, you know, I'm not like running, you know, 50 meters and, you know, in the Olympics and stuff like this. I'm like, no, you know, that's not what we're really talking about. We're really talking about thriving. Right. And, and, and that kind of stuff. But there's a there's a point as we age where you do make a compromise. I mean, certainly. You know, that whole bullshit idea that you you can't, you know, out eat a bad diet. You absolutely can, right? But would you want to? Would you be willing to put in that amount of work? And frankly, most people aren't willing to put in that amount of work, right? Some people sort of confuse eat to perform as kind of putting out a narrative that we're talking about people eating 6,000 calories and all kinds of carbs. That's not what I do. And that's not what we were talking about with these two ladies. At some point, you have to look at what's the compromise that this is probably going to be a horrible podcast because I don't know if you guys can hear my dog barking in the background. Um, but I'll check it later to see if, if that shows up. But what I think happens is you get to a point where you go, you know what? I'm okay doing 2,700 calories with the work and eating 2,700 calories. I don't need to eat 3,500 calories, you know? And for a, a female, you know, maybe she's 5'1", she's 51 years old. She's got a math problem, right? Ultimately, the metabolism, metabolic rate, all these things are not going to be super favorable, which is one of the reasons why 
a lot of women, especially in that situation with some fat to use, resort to some extremes. In both of these instances, you know, these ladies, they come from extreme dieting backgrounds. And I just started working them through some of the math and why we're trying to reverse them out of like really super low way of eating and then why that is important. In that same time, okay, there's basically two ways to do eat before. There's the slow and patient way where there's not a lot of weight gain. The only problem is, is you don't lose 15 pounds in that scenario. Then there's the wave method, which is a little bit, you're, you're still staying conscious and potentially weight stable, but hopefully there's enough work to where you're not gaining a lot of weight in that scenario. Then we then take that extra work capacity, extra food, and then we create a deficit cycle, and then we're able to lose eight to 10 pounds. They're kind of different in the way that the one, you know, you may lose eight to 10 pounds over the course of six months. In the one scenario though, you lose it in eight weeks. The only difference is, is that you really focus a little bit more on kind of the maintenance and normalization side of it. It's really set up well for a lot of people that are under eating. So there's kind of like two ways to do it. Both, neither are bad, right? And depending on who you're talking to in the forum, they'll kind of counsel you through that. But I thought that was interesting because when I started doing the math for them, I mean, I had a, I had a lady in the one o'clock class today where, um, and if you're not familiar with Eat Perform and, and, you know, frankly, at this point, we don't really have a lot of spots in group coaching. Um, I think we only have like 13 spots left. But what she she jokingly said she wanted to lose 20 pounds by June. I said, well, why don't I do this for you? Let me do the math on where you're at, right? And uh, where you're at now compared to what it would take to lose 20 pounds. I said, so basically you would have to eat, you know, 600 calories on workout days, 400 calories on rest days, you know. Um, Yuck. Well, it's not sustainable. See, that's what's that, that's the thing that a lot of people, you know, if you're just using an online calculator, you might get a reading like that or you're using a template or something like that. You get these like stupid numbers and people like try to do it. And then very quickly they realize there's just no way I'm sleeping one hour a night, you know, I can't live on 600 calories. Yeah, well, like, that's how human being human beings aren't meant to live that low. My point to this lady that wanted to lose 20 pounds by June was what's the hurry? You know, it's the fact that she's been in a hurry so often that's kind of led her to us, you know, and that if we could take it into a couple cycles... We could actually get her long-term results, but it's this timeline that's always kind of a struggle. Now, at the same time, you know, people do want to see results, you know, and so we do sort of set deadlines for people. And even in those scenarios where 
you know, might not be 100% adherent. You know, if somebody says, hey, Paul, you know, my weight's up a little bit. Been doing it for them for four months. I'm in group coaching. We're certainly going to try and walk them through a, a fat loss cycle, right? But some people just end up learning some things that might bring them to kind of the next level. And some people are actually very successful. The people that aren't successful tend to not get aggressive enough or as aggressive as they need just because they haven't built that top side of things. Their work capacity is not high enough. You know, they're five feet tall and 120 pounds. And frankly, their body isn't dying to give up a bunch of body fat in that scenario. You know, there's a lot of different ways to kind of skin various cats. But I just thought it was sort of interesting, you know, having those conversations, mostly from the standpoint of, is an eight pack the goal or is living a healthy life where you're where you're eating an adequate amount of food most of the time and where you're not killing yourself you know i mean at you know when i was first starting off and in my early 40s i could get away with some things right now i'd rather go for a walk with my wife than do a 15 minute wad where i puke that's just me you know what I mean? Um, you know, there was a time where, you know, my aspirations were much higher. And, you know, I think a lot of people coming into, you know, something like CrossFit or powerlifting, you know, you get kind of wide eyes because you get a lot of success early on. But after a while, you realize this is just exercise. This is just a small component of my life. And I'd like to live a comfortable life. I'd like to sleep normal. I'd like to, you know, be a normal human being. So it's kind of fun having those conversations with people that are both trying to solve what health looks like for them, sometimes mental health looks like for them, but also, um, you know, seeing, seeing a result in the end, you know. So, without any questions, um, anything you can think of before we shut it down, Catherine? No, I think um, I think you've covered everything well, and I think uh, I was going to mention that you've you've had with your with your graph, you've had a great lead up to start PFFL, and I think sometimes I found in group coaching, people want to jump into PFFL before they're ready, and they've said, "Oh, well, look at Paul." Look at how well he's done, and I've explained that you know what he's he's prepped himself going into PFFL. Well, and, so that, and one thing that I want everybody to hear is that I was eating twenty seven hundred calories, you know, beforehand. Right. I'm now burning three thousand calories, right? So I've made my activity more of a priority than even previous to that, right? A lot of the 2700 thing was just because, you know, I wanted to keep my volume real close to what I was eating. But I can't tell you how many 220 pound guys talk to me and say, you know, I'm eating 2500 calories on workout days. You know, I want a PFFL. I'm like, you're 220 pounds. I'm 180, you know, and I'm eating 
you know, 200 more calories than you are right now, you know, a lot of them are doing more than I do typically, you know, mm -hmm. um, and so it just doesn't always kind of, kind of make sense. And I don't think that they, you know, I think some of it's fear, you know, that they're, sure. they're scared of kind of gaining weight. Um, yeah. I, I think another piece of it is, you know, putting in the time, you know, and putting in the work, um, yeah. and, and just being, being honest with yourself about, you know, what that really looks like and, and yeah. not always, yeah. yeah. And not always resorting to the starvation thing. Actually, we do have one question. Paulo is asking, so it's a better approach to increase work capacity than try one PFFL cycle. Um, yes. So the goal of PFFL is to go into a fat loss cycle, you know, where you weren't dieting, right? Where you were kind of normalized. And then obviously the more food you were eating, the more work you were doing, the you know the more success ultimately you're going to have as you look into a deficit cycle doesn't mean that you know you want to go from a lot of volume to like nothing you know um actually you want to keep your volume as high as possible because it's going to be muscle sparing but yeah so the idea you know obviously we we, we certainly don't want someone eating 1500 and then going hey can i get my pffl numbers you know it's like you're not gonna like how that's gonna look, um, nor are we going to suggest that you do it. Nita's asking, I do have a question. Heard several discussions about taking meat raw versus cooked. How big of a deal is that? Well, it's a very big deal um, because if you're measuring protein based on the 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 cook value, so like for instance, you've cooked and you're measuring it at eight ounces, but pre-cooked it was 12 ounces, you know, you might be eating a lot more protein than you need to be eating, right? And so that's where kind of the difference sort of comes in. Um, but it's a big difference. It's not a little difference. Um, you know, as a general rule, if I don't have any kind of information, I'll tend to multiply by 0.66. And that's usually pretty close for most things. Um, I can't remember off the top of my head right now, but I think that, that fat actually ends up being a little um, closer to 0.7. And like lean chicken ends up being close to 0.6 just based on the way that, just based on the water in the food. Um, but yeah, it makes a big difference. Um, and I would definitely encourage you, you know, the easiest way to do it is just to measure your food raw. So your <coughs> 16 ounces of chicken, then you cook it, and then you just remeasure it and then divide it, you know, and voila, you have the answer. Um, but yeah, you know, I would tend to go off the packaging. I mean, once again, there would be, you know, we talked about this last week. The, the packaging isn't always super consistent. Sometimes when we're, you know, 
um, looking at performance-focused fat loss cycles, we try to have people eat kind of similar things over and over again just because we know how those things interact. The more variety you add in sometimes can be a net negative. All right, you guys. Well, I appreciate everybody being here, and we will – oh, shoot. Here we go. I've been eating my wave numbers since January, but I haven't gone to the gym that much, but focused on sleep and increased meat and even lost a few inches, so I should stick to the wave numbers and get back to the gym before trying a PFFL. I would, you know, um, if you can, you know. Um, I will say that this, the math of what we're talking about would work in any scenario, but it works better when there's some level of resistance training involved just because you end up keeping your muscle there's kind of like you know I, I posted a fair amount of my before and after where I lost a lot of weight but I kind of had like the skinny fat look I was 21 percent then I show the next picture where I was nine percent and really what the difference was I was the same weight the the only difference was muscle right so really when you're in a cutting cycle Volume matters a lot and, you know, kind of that stress on your, your muscle skeletal system will help you retain muscle along the way. Okay, before anybody asks any other questions, though, we're going to cruise. I appreciate everybody being here. And if you guys have any, you can look us up in the Lifetime forums or the Facebook group. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Bye, guys.